Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 126. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is part of the Social Work Month focus on practice of therapy and some of the details of therapy. So with that in mind, today I'm bringing you an interview with someone I've known for a while and she's an expert at what she does. My guest today is Dr. Melissa Hall. Melissa is a psychologist who owns an online practice called QA Prep in which she helps therapists with their case documentation for their notes. And we talked about two important topics. We talked about clinical documentation and we also talked about what is the appropriate use of self of the therapist in a therapy session and in a therapeutic relationship. We were considering how much should a therapist share about themselves? I think we've all heard examples of inappropriate therapist disclosure in anecdotes, maybe in our own experiences, certainly in media portrayals on TV and movies of therapists. I went to a an ethics training where the doctor, the psychiatrist in The Sopranos was used as an example of ethical pitfalls. And she definitely had some moments of inappropriate disclosure. In fact, it's pretty common for the therapist that you see on TV and in films to be pretty inappropriate. And a therapeutic relationship is really different from any other kind of relationship because It's a professional relationship where the professional cares deeply for the client, but they're not friends. I guess you could say it's not that different from your relationship with your physician. If you really trust your physician, you know they're your doctor and not your friend. Even though they care very much about you and your health, 
You don't expect that you and your doctor are going to have coffee together, but something about the therapeutic relationship, I think because the emotional subject matter goes so much deeper, sometimes it can be confusing for people. And so it's not always clear to the client how much the therapist should share about himself or herself. I'm a firm believer that there's only so much that we can keep separate from the therapeutic relationship of who we are. You know, who I am is I'm a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a dog owner. I talk about my personal life on this podcast and in my blog. So the question of how much to share about myself is definitely one that I've wrestled with. And Melissa talks about a way that she disclosed information about herself that actually helped deepen connection with her therapy clients. So I'll be interested to hear what you think about our interview. I think it's pretty thought provoking and I know many therapists have different perspectives on how much to share about themselves and many clients may have different comfort levels about what is shared by the therapist about themselves. But for example, in our Facebook groups for therapists, I often hear people saying, I'm pregnant. What should I do about letting my clients know that I'm pregnant? And in the most obvious way, clients are going to see that you're pregnant over time as your belly gets larger and larger. It's going to be impossible to hide the fact that you're pregnant. So the client who sees that the therapist is pregnant then knows that the therapist has a romantic partner or has had one, that the therapist is going to become a mother, that the therapist is going to be probably needing to take some time off. And, you know, why try to hide that? I mean, why create this artificial distance as if we're not human beings? I don't, I don't get it. But I know that if one was trained that we are supposed to be completely blank slates you know, what happens when the therapist is diagnosed with cancer and as they're going through treatment, they lose their hair and maybe they start showing up to therapy with no hair or with a scarf over their hair or with a wig. You know, what does that do for the therapeutic relationship for the therapist not to mention it, for the client not to feel comfortable asking about it or for the client to ask and the therapist to say, you know, I don't answer questions about my personal life. How does that create connection? I'm not saying there is a correct answer. It's more things that I think are worthwhile to consider for the therapist and the client. My way of practicing is that I believe we are all connected by our shared human experience, which means that we all experience suffering at times. And if I pretended that I was like the only human being on earth who had not experienced any suffering, then I'm not sure how helpful that would be to my clients. You know, I work with people who've experienced trauma and one of the ways that trauma makes you feel is that you're alone, that you're alone in your experience and that no one can understand. And understanding and recognizing that your therapist is also a fellow human being who may not have been through what you've been through but has also experienced pain and can recognize and hold what that's like. I think that that's a very important aspect of the healing process and the therapeutic relationship. 
So I'm curious to hear what you will think of my interview with Dr. Melissa Hall. Let's go ahead and get started and hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm excited to bring to you a guest who I have known for a while through Facebook years, but we've never actually met in person and we still haven't, but at least we're on Skype now. So my guest today is Dr. Melissa Hall of QAPrep.com and My Biz Bestie podcast. Melissa, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I always recommend your work to people like all the time, other fellow therapists, but I'm really excited to talk with you today. Can you just start off by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and your work? So I'm a licensed psychologist and I live in Southern California. I have an online business where I actually teach other therapists about clinical documentation. So I help them simplify their paperwork and I offer trainings and write blog posts and all kinds of cool stuff like that. And I actually started out doing that because I was working as a therapist and then moved into being a quality improvement trainer. So I worked in an agency training therapists on how to do their documentation, which sounds like a really specific thing, but it's actually a big need. Believe me, I know. I I know. (laughs) So it was really interesting. and, And that was a great experience because out of that, I learned that I really love training and that that's a big passion of mine and enjoyed doing that. And so I was looking for other ways to do that more and also... I started talking to my friends in private practice, right? And learning that, you know, they didn't have anyone to go to, to find that kind of information and to get that kind of training. And I didn't realize what a big need it was. So I decided to start my own business and it's all online. So that's exciting. I'm actually just closing up my private practice that I have now. And so I'm focusing on the online business full time. And then as my passion project right now with my friend, I have a podcast, My Biz Bestie. So that's been fun the last six months or so to dive into the world of podcasting because I've been listening to podcasts for years. So it's fun to be, you know, be in the community now too. Yeah. What is My Biz Bestie about? So My Biz Bestie is a podcast to help other female business owners find their support system. And it started because... Amber Holly, who's my biz bestie, (laughs) Um, she and I started talking with other people and we, I guess to kind of backtrack a little bit, we were in this group of therapists who self-selected to do a retreat together. And we all like rented a big house and for a whole week and just to get work done. So we call it like getting stuff done, GSD. And there was no agenda and no one had to do anything, you know, specific. You could show up and do what you wanted to do. You could spend as much or as little, you know, time working. Um, But the idea was that we were all there to support one another and to, um, to offer feedback if we needed to. And it was also a time to get away from our regular business and family and personal stuff and be able to really focus on, you know, whatever business tasks we needed. So out of that, Amber and I were in that original group who met through Facebook, just like you and I did. And, um, and we got to know one another and really hit it off when we met in person. And so then we started talking on the phone and 
chatting like every single day, multiple times a day sometimes. So then we started realizing what a big need this was because we would talk with people and realize we have this great relationship and we have this great support system, uh, you know, not only with one another, but also through those other ladies who we do this business retreat once a year now. And then even like, you know, Laura, through the community that you and I are a part of where we met, there's a lot of great resources I realized that um, that I have in place and a lot of support systems that a lot of other people don't have. So we wanted to to give people ways that they can find that themselves. That's awesome. And what a cool retreat idea you guys had. That's a really neat thing. Because sometimes, you know, you just need that time to, especially as a self-employed private practice owner, to get away and just do stuff with no interruptions. Yeah, absolutely. But having support at the same time is really extra nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because we all, although we are all uh, therapists who all do this, we all have very different types of businesses and practices. And so you don't necessarily have to do it with people who are very similar to you, but just having a space, like you said, to get away. And I think, you know, even corporations know that this is valuable and right. And we'll have their leadership teams go away and, you know, for meetings or do all day retreats or things like that. It's, it's always good to, to step back and look at what you're doing. Yeah. And I like how it's unstructured too, because, you know, if I needed to, I mean, I have a lot of things that I think about retreating for like four days to work on big tasks, but sometimes it's kind of like, it's not that I don't want to go alone, but it it seems like if I were doing it together with other business owners, you know, who are friends, it would be a heck of a lot more fun. You know, during, when you say, all right, it's five o'clock, let's stop. Now we can chat and drink wine or whatever we like to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps with the price too, right? So we were all able to point. share share the expense together. So it makes it pretty reasonable. It's definitely a lot cheaper than going to a conference or, or doing a trip on our own. I love it. And so thank you for telling us what that's about. And I think probably a lot of people who are listening, whether you're a therapist or not, would love your podcast because, you know, there are a lot of us um, who are business owners out there. And another thing, I just have to say, I remember when I first met you, and I know I've probably said this before through Facebook, but um, I honestly couldn't believe that someone like really liked doing notes and documentation for (laughs) therapy practice, you know, that you were like, no, I know it sounds like boring or tedious, but it can be fun. And I'm like, fun? Like, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, go like, that far. Like, really? <laughs> but yeah. you build a, such a great business on that. And I mean, there's such a need because I think, you know, so many of us, we don't learn in grad school how to do a clinical note. And then you go to one job and they do it one way and you go to another job and they do it another way. You never really know, am I doing this right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very, it's a very mysterious process. And, and a lot of times, there are things like insurance requirements or like you said, you know, whatever job you're at telling you you have to do it a certain way. And that really blocks us from connecting it to what it means. Um, And I think, you know, that's for me, like always the big thing is that, you know, you have to make your documentation meaningful. So just like, you know, it may not be the most exciting thing for everyone. And it's, you know, it doesn't mean it's it's going to turn into that. Um, Just like, 
doing your taxes may not be the most exciting thing to you and, you know, no amount of restructuring or <laughs> learning strategies is going to make it like, oh no, I would rather do this than go hang out with, with my friends and family this weekend, mm-hmm. you know, but I think it can make it, I think taking a lot of the reason that those things are so stressful is because there's just so much negative association with them. And so as long as we can remove a lot of those things and make it an easier process and a a simpler process, it helps a lot. And then people avoid it less and then it becomes even easier and it's this, you know, snowball effect. Yeah. And then you feel good when they're done. Yes. Yes. Because we all, you know, all of us therapists, I think, I don't know. I won't speak for everyone, but I know for me, I love doing the clinical work and the clinical documentation is a part of that, but it's, it feels like just an extra task, you know, and I really want to be doing the clinical work and, you know, I've found a way to make it work for me and a lot of the strategies that you have shared have helped, but I know that it can be something that's just really hard to get started with when you're, someone feels overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the reason I did that was out of necessity. You know, I had a job at an agency very early on that was really paperwork intensive um, in LA County. The most of the mental health agencies have this like insanely extensive documentation process and it's very time consuming. And most of the agencies require a lot of client hours. So a lot of the therapists you know, are really strapped for time and it can be very easy to get behind. And in the particular role I had, I was doing a lot of intake assessments. So I was like the first person that people would see when they came in. And I often didn't see people after that. I I would only continue with a few people, but then they would go see another therapist. Mm -hmm. So I had the role that had the most paperwork (laughs) and it was, you know, really intensive stuff. And it was important too, because if that paperwork wasn't done well, a lot of times it, it kind of messed up a lot of the flow building moving forward. So I learned really early on that I was going to completely fail if I didn't figure out how to do this well. And it was not, um, although writing is a strength of mine. So writing was not a struggle in and of itself, but the time management and, you know, figuring out how to get all of these things done and the detail that was a struggle for me. And I had to address it head on. (laughs) And thankfully I was able to do that. And now I'm able to use a lot of those strategies that I've learned and built up and then, you know, helped other people develop to, you know, help other therapists. Well, I'm so grateful that you are out there doing that and that you came here today. And, you know, you just shared a little bit about your, how you came to be doing QA prep. And it's a good segue to the topic that we wanted to cover today, which is something that's pretty controversial in the mental health disciplines. How much personal self-disclosure that therapists should have in, in our work. So let's talk about how you kind of decided how much of yourself to share in your, I guess, in your, you know, direct interactions with clients you were working with and also in your marketing and your blogging and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think There were a lot of things kind of leading up to this as far as things in my training and and we can get into that too. 
But I know I started my my online business. And so I did a lot of blogging and I do YouTube videos and stuff like that. And then I started my private practice after that. So when I was working with my online business, I wrote a blog post about how I have a diagnosis of ADHD. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't um, discovered until I was an adult, which is really common with um, with women in particular, and especially with women where maybe the diagnosis is not like really severe or um, with very uh, like highly educated women. It's also common because the paradox with ADHD is that you can actually do really well with high structure. So I could, you know, handle being in graduate school and having this crazy schedule because I just had in order to compensate, I had to be super structured. So so that my story is fairly common for a lot of people. And when I shared that, I was really surprised by how many therapists started reaching out to me and saying like, I have ADHD too. That's why paperwork has been such a struggle for me. And, um, you know, thank you so much. And your blog post really gives me hope because it makes me realize that, you know, maybe I can do this too. Uh, It also gave me some credibility because a lot of people, the, the thing that I'm helping people with, they think, well, if you do that naturally, and I don't do it naturally. Like, how are you going to help me? Right. Like maybe you can give me a couple of cool tips, but, but you don't know the struggle I'm in and you know, you're not really going to be able to, to work with me on this. So I realized how impactful it was for a lot of people. And then I also started sharing with my colleagues or with my family, like just telling people about this diagnosis and the fact that I do take medication for it and, and all of the, you know, the strategies I was learning and the feedback I kept getting was, you know, so overwhelmingly positive where people, it was a couple of people that I talked to were like, oh my gosh, I am experiencing these exact same things. You know, maybe I'm going to get this checked out too and started, you know, looking at resources or went to see a psychiatrist or something, you know, to actually help them overcome it. Because you think these are just these character flaws you have to deal with Mm. um, instead of realizing like, oh, maybe there's a reason for this. And so I can actually do something to address it. Uh, it, It gives you hope. Yeah. So having all of those experiences with my colleagues and family members and and my consulting clients through my online business pushed me when I opened my private practice to be open about the fact that I have this diagnosis and, you know, I am still figuring things out. But because I've worked through this, there are some things I've already figured out and I can, you know, help other people with that too. So I definitely got I would say the vast majority of the clients I got in my private practice mentioned that specifically, um, you know, that that I shared that. And and that was the reason they were reaching out to me. Um, They wanted someone who was who was open about it and willing to talk to them about it. And again, I think it gave me that credibility with them where they felt like I could understand a part of their journey. And so that barrier that can initially be there um, when you start therapy with anyone uh, was already, you know, broken down a little bit. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, 
You can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Yeah, so in your marketing, you let people get to know who you are. And by sharing something personal about yourself that was relatable and related to how you work, people were able to say, this is someone who can understand what I've, what I'm going through and has been through it herself so she can help me. So it kind of normalizes what they're going through. Yeah. And I think that was the first step. And then even ongoing talking with people and I would be open about the fact that, yes, I do take medication and a lot. That's a big, particularly with ADHD, but I know also with a lot of other, you know, like with anxiety and depression, that's really common too, where people are fearful of taking medication because they don't want to get addicted to it or they don't want to feel like a zombie or make it, you know, take something that's going to make them feel different from who they are. And, you know, those things can all happen. But I think me being able to share that experience with them and at least say, you know, hey, I tried it and and to tell them, you know what, I tried a couple of different things and the first ones didn't work out and I had to keep trying really helped a lot of people who were afraid of taking that next step, even if they knew that that was something they really, they really wanted to try. And plus it, you know, it also gave me that experience of saying, you know, let's create some realistic expectations around it. Right. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not a, nothing is a magic pill that you take. Um, and it works right away. But, um, you know, sometimes you have to try out a few different things and sometimes it works really well for some people and sometimes it works okay for some people. And, and these are all things you just have to try out, but, but sharing my experience, I know helps kind of destigmatize it for a lot of people and at least open that door to another possibility. Cause for some people, can be a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So how were you trained in grad school? Or was the perspective that you learned when you first became a therapist to share a lot about yourself? Or was that something that you had to sort of come to on your own? Yeah, it's really interesting. I did specifically pick a graduate program that uh, like my focus, my emphasis was multicultural community psychology. So I wanted a program that had different perspectives. And thankfully, a lot of my professors were pretty open about um, there's this idea in psychotherapy that kind of originated originated with, you know, psychoanalytic theory, like our our origins of psychology, that the therapist can be this blank slate. And meaning that the therapist is supposed to be kind of void of like emotion or impact or experience. And that really it's it's the client that comes in and brings all of their experience and and projects it onto the therapist. And I had a lot of professors who didn't I had some who did agree with that theory. And then I had some who didn't and, you know, and who said, no, like I every experience I've had in my life, I bring into the therapy room and I need to manage that as a professional. It doesn't mean I'm going to go in there and, you know, share all of those experiences, but it does impact me as a therapist. It impacts how I interact with people. 
you know, in my everyday and in the therapy room. And that's a good thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like the way that I interact with clients uh, is very different from any other therapist who interacts with clients. And there's so many different people out there in the world. That's a good thing. So you can find that good fit with your therapist. So I did have that kind of idea going in. Mm -hmm. But then I think you have to figure that out. Are you comfortable with and and sort of try things out? And I think it's uh, different with different clients, too the amount that you might share or the things that you might share with people. Um, And I think also the things that you might share in a particular session with a client can be very different from the things you might share on your website, for example, (laughs) you know? Hmm. Well, say a little more about that. I'm just curious how you see that. Not saying I disagree. I'm just looking for an example. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. Totally. Like, for example, like on my website, I shared, you know, that I have ADHD and that I, um, you know, have worked through strategies, but I didn't share things like, and I shared that I was diagnosed as an adult. I didn't share details about how I was diagnosed. I didn't share the fact that I was on medication. Mm -hmm. I didn't share, you know, anything about that or like any specific treatment I was going through because that can get a little bit, I think it's more detailed than people need. It becomes about you more. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as far as using it to break down the barriers and connect with people and let people know where I'm coming from, that was helpful, but they don't really need all of those details to meet that goal. Um, whereas, you know, like for example, I shared with with the medication stuff that I would bring up with clients when it came up. So Mm -hmm. if they brought it up where it was a concern for them or they were curious, it was something that I could share with people if they were really apprehensive about it. Um, and that way they knew, Oh, okay. You know, somebody, somebody can take this and not, you know, be completely addicted to it or, you know, somebody can take this and it didn't work the first time. And I also, but then I guess there's different levels. I'm thinking of that too. So there was kind of the stuff I would share marketing wise, the stuff I would share with people in person. And then the stuff that I wouldn't really share in a session, but would share maybe with friends or family. So for example, like I'm uncomfortable, I'm comfortable sharing this on the podcast, but the reason I was diagnosed was because my husband and I went to couples counseling, which is Mm -hmm. also very common where there are all these, you know, you have a good relationship and then there's just these weird little things that come up, you know, and it impacts couples a lot. So then going to a couples therapist who thankfully was really familiar with ADHD, she was able to pick up on it right away and was like, you know, I think actually, you know, you might want to look at this. This seems like one of the issues. And that was huge. I mean, it was so helpful um, for both me and my husband, but that I would not share um, in a session with clients just because that's not something I would be comfortable sharing. And again, I don't think it's usually necessary Yeah. It's not really going to come up unless you're talking so much about your personal life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've had, um, you know, I've had a lot of experiences with that question of how much to self-disclose. And I used to feel that it should be, you know, nothing. And that if I did share anything, it was like I failed in some way. But when I started out, even before I got to finish with my bachelor's and went to grad school, I was working in a sexual assault crisis center where we did crisis intervention counseling with people. And 
everyone I worked with had been sexually assaulted. And sometimes people would ask, have you ever been sexually assaulted? Which is certainly a very personal question. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And anyone, you know, who um, has been sexually assaulted has the right to choose if they want to share their story or not and who to share it with. And just like we do about any story, but it's, it's such a personal thing. And for many people, it seems that, you know, control over their story is one of the only things they can feel some control over after that kind of experience. So we would say, you know, we were taught to that that question may come up. And the response is um, whether or not I've ever been through a sexual assault. You know, I'm trained to help you with what you're what you're going through. And I mean, because the truth is. If someone had been sexually assaulted and I had been sexually assaulted and I said I had, our experiences aren't the same anyway. So, you know, just like, you know, with ADHD or anything else, no two people's experiences are exactly the same. So does it matter? You know, if can a therapist who doesn't have ADHD help a client who has it? Of course. Can a therapist who hasn't been sexually assaulted help a client who has been sexually assaulted? Of course. But Basically, it's that example that people are really, um, it's that illustration of the fact that people are really looking for, can I trust you? Do you get me? Do you know how to help me? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you bring up is such a good point too. And that's where you can flip the other way. And with with self-disclosing, I think it all has to be, like you said, is it about like me or is it about helping this person? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people use, whether it's in therapy or in everyday conversation, people will use self-disclosure as a form of connection. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's more about turning things back to you. Right. It can become a diversion for the client as well. If, oh, you were sexually assaulted. So, well, what happened to you? What was your, you know, instead of, because they don't feel comfortable talking about what they went through naturally, it's very uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, with any experience, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's having ADHD, whether it's, you know, experiencing depression, even something that can feel that can seem a little bit more like an experience that happens across the board. Like I think of a panic attack. More like universal. Those, yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Like you think a panic attack, you know, very common where people will describe that very pretty much the same across the board. Those are still very different things. And the reasons that people are having panic attacks are totally different. Right. And the way it impacts someone in their life is totally different. So you can never assume that just because you've had one experience or because someone has not had an experience that they can't understand you or that you, because you have a shared experience with someone that you know how they're feeling, right? That's, oh, that's not sure. the case at all. For sure. And I've also was thinking about, you know, that, that blank slate idea, I get psychotherapeutically what the thoughts are about it. And, you know, I don't object to that, but I think what it felt like to me in the way I interpreted first learning that, you know, we're not supposed to show anything about ourselves. We're supposed to just let the client project and feel their, you know, have all the transference and play out their stuff in the, the session based on the therapist not really contributing anything. I don't really think it's realistic in most cases to think that the therapist isn't a human being sitting in there and I also think that it's like a relational process therapy is. So 
you know, if one person's not giving anything, it can feel like a withholding, you know, neglectful parent that the client, you know, had before. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, I guess, one way to look at it, too, is, you know, like with a a parent and a kid, as a parent, you're not going to share all of your stressors and experiences with your child, but you're also not going to withhold everything from them. You're, you know, you are going to share some things with them. Yeah. But I think it can, it can sometimes feel like a power imbalance when one person's like, no, you can't know anything about me. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, you should tell me everything about you. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like it's, it's almost disrespectful and it just seems so odd to me, you know, and, and I, I do have different experiences than other therapists and I'm going to come into the room, you know, being different and talking with people differently. And, and, you know, I think another thing that comes out of that too, is like we as therapists are impacted by our clients, right? Like we learn things from these experiences and we grow as people. And I think that's important too. I agree. I think that um, if we can be open and boundaried, that seems to me the, the perfect mix of, how to help a person feel as if you're, you know, collaborating together in the therapeutic process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that speaks to kind of why I started that also as far as connecting with business stuff. But I think as a therapist, you need to have other people, other therapists you can talk about this stuff with so that you are able to, to discern, you know, Hey, did I, and therapists make mistakes too. That's one thing that we don't talk about a lot, you know, but Mm -hmm. sometimes you say the wrong thing in a session, right? And so you need to be able to talk with someone and say, Hey, you know, I think I shared too much, or I think I reacted inappropriately to this client because I got mad. And how do I work through that? Right? So how do I, as a, you know, as a professional, how do I now manage that and, and work through that and, and do what I need to do to repair this relationship or to, to restore that boundary. So I think that's so important to have people you can consult with. I could not agree with you more about that. And I think that um, once we become independently licensed and we just want to do our work and don't have anybody hanging over us besides our licensing boards and supervision and consultation over the lifespan of your career, I think is so healthy, so nourishing. Yeah, absolutely. You, you just have to have it. <laughs> it because it makes you a better, a better therapist when you're willing to talk about, you know, these kind of complicated things and these things that, you know, there's no rule about what amount of self-disclosure is right or wrong because it's, you know, it's going to be different uh, with different clients, with different therapists. On different days with the same client. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it all just depends on everything that's happening, which is all so nuanced and so specific to that 45 to 55 minute session. Yeah, absolutely. I want to, because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are therapists, but I know a lot of other people who listen are non professionals and maybe people who are therapy clients, or of course, all of us therapists can be therapy clients too. What do you think? is kind of a clue for someone when they're the client in the therapy session, if they feel like their, their therapist is disclosing too much, like how would you kind of, you know, cause I think sometimes clients may want us to disclose more and sometimes they may feel uncomfortable if we 
speak about ourselves and our personal lives at all. So how would you kind of help people reflect on that? Yeah, I mean, I think what you said right there, which is, you know, what are you comfortable with is the biggest thing to start with, because as a client, you might be more or less comfortable than other clients. And I think the important thing is to notice that if you are feeling uncomfortable as a therapist is sharing something and to and then to speak up, you know, and share, you know, hey, this makes me feel kind of uncomfortable and and talk about why. And then that may and see what conversation comes out of that, because obviously that could have a lot of different outcomes. So I think that's the first thing to look at. And I mean, no matter who you are, it's a, a big part of that kind of thing is trusting your gut, right? I mean, unfortunately, as a therapist, I have had clients share with me their negative experiences with other therapists. And and I know a lot of us have had that. So, you know, not every therapist out there is perfect. Definitely. None of us are perfect. Yeah. And they may be having a bad day or they may be having a bad year and they may not you know, Mm -hmm. be doing the greatest at their job right now. It's, you know, so it's hard to say what's going on, but if you are feeling uncomfortable, then it's something you want to address. And if they're not able to really work through it with you to where you can feel comfortable, um, then I think it's worth looking at is, is that the right therapist for you? And again, it might just be, they're not the right therapist for you, or, you know, that could be all the way to, you know, they're being inappropriate. Um, But regardless, that's probably just not the person for you to meet with. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that, I don't know, something about the way that we're taught to communicate in our culture, people often don't, many people don't feel like they could speak up and say, you know, when you started talking about when you were playing baseball with your son, I felt uncomfortable. And hopefully the therapist would say, oh, let's, you know, can we explore that? And, you know, I mean, that's what therapy does is you get to have those kinds of conversations where, you know, what you say is really important and how you feel. And you can speak up when you're uncomfortable with something instead of having to just ignore it as if, you know, you don't have an equal voice in the in the process. Right, right. And you don't even have to do it. And if you don't know why or how, I mean, you you can always not say something in the moment mm-hmm. and kind of think about it later, you know, write down some thoughts or or talk with a friend about it or anything like that, you know, and then maybe come back and talk to them about it the next session. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, people people shouldn't feel pressured to like, oh, you have to speak up and speak say up it right, right away. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Speak now yeah. or forever hold your peace. Absolutely. Um, Because sometimes, yeah, when you're not quite sure, especially I think in that setting, it can feel a little bit like, what's going on here? Why? I think I feel uncomfortable. Why do I feel this way? (laughs) You know, you may not want to bring it up right then. Um, So maybe, you know, take some time to reflect on that before you do bring it up. Definitely. I think one of the most beautiful things about the therapeutic relationship, in my experience, is that you... As you build a therapeutic relationship and a trusting rapport, you have opportunities. There will be ruptures in that relationship, and then you have opportunities for repair. And that can be so healing to not only the therapeutic relationship, but the relationships that you have outside of the therapy space. It's like practicing that someone can let you down, make a mistake, disappoint you, you know, say the wrong thing that just like really hit us, you know, sour note. And in a caring relationship with open discussion, it can be repaired. 
Yeah. And it's not fun in the moment. (laughs) You know, it's uncomfortable and, you know, it can be like a little anxiety provoking to bring those kind of things up or to talk about them. But ideally you work through that with someone and then you're able to come out of it much, you know, much closer or having a lot more insight about yourself or about the way you interact with people and, and come out, out of it a better person. Yeah. And more able to handle those kinds of conversations in the future and, and more able to envision that even when there are ruptures, there can be repairs when, you know, sometimes we just feel like, Oh, that's done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah. Bridge burned. laughs> well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Melissa. I, I enjoyed this conversation very much and I wish we had more time to keep going, but why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and all the wonderful things that you offer? Sure. So you can check out My Biz Bestie. And we, I have a podcast there with my friend Amber Holly. So you can look, you know, either search in iTunes for My Biz Bestie or you can go to mybizbestie.com. Okay. And, and then if you are a therapist and you are looking for help with your paperwork and want to simplify it, making it a little more meaningful, you can check me out at qaprep.com. And I have a free crash course there you can sign up for and and get some immediate help if you want it. Awesome. I'll be sure to put those links in the show notes. And thank you again for being my guest today on Therapy Chat. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Melissa Hall. I hope you found it thought provoking. I wonder if your perspective on how much should be self-disclosed by a therapist has changed at all. I'd love to know your thoughts, whether you're a therapist or a client, and if you've had any experiences that you would like to share to contribute to this conversation, please go to my website, therapychatpodcast.com, and click on the green speak pipe button. It says send a message to therapy chat or something along those lines. And you can record a message in your own voice. And I would be happy to share your recording in a future episode if it seems like it would contribute to our conversation. So I would love to hear from you. I really enjoy when callers, when listeners call in and leave a message. If you do want your message to air on a future episode, be sure to mention that in your message so that I know it's okay to let people hear what you had to say. Thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat, as always, and talk to you soon. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.
Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.